0: Let's try that again. Please have a seat. There's one thing, if you're new to us here at Bergen Park Church, that you need to know is um, we tend to start a little late. And uh, we're sorry about that, but that's because you don't show up on time. (laughs) The other thing about Bergen Park Church is you don't, leave right away either. This is not a put in a punch card, but that lobby is filled for 20-30 minutes afterwards. It's a place where you can connect with people and hopefully call them, begin to call them friends. Um, I was supposed to give two announcements. I'm sorry. Uh, I was supposed to mention year-end giving and I forgot. Um, If you are blessed by Bergen Park Church and God is blessing you financially, we usually find that December is a great month for giving Hopefully it's not catching up, but just giving out, okay? And um, if uh, this is the place or the place of life that you are in, I plan to give uh, extra at the end of the year to the building fund. Uh, However, any ministry or general fund that you give to goes directly to that. Okay, now, what are some of the fun things that you heard people doing at Christmas? What's unique? What, What did you hear? If you're doing your hair, I'm going to call on you. So be careful, okay? <laughs> not to, not to embarrass anybody, but making, what? making tamales. Making tamales, okay? That's from a Hispanic background. That makes sense, and it is. If you're Hispanic, you have tamales. Let me share a couple things that people have told me. In addition to the Chinese dinner, some watch a certain movie every Christmas time, like It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, others get involved uh, with a visit of an act of service, often to the uh, homeless. Uh, Others go through uh, areas where they know the house lights are decorated and it's just a beautiful scene. Um, uh, I I came across one that I didn't realize this because you'll know why when I share it. but what I came across is ever since 1974 that has been this growing tradition in the United States so much now that it covers literally hundreds of cities. There's seven at least right here in, in Colorado, and it's spread worldwide. And it's called the Tuba Christmas Festival. <laughs> Any of you ever been to that? The Tuba Christmas... Pardon? He plays in it, of course. Okay, uh, let me show you just a, a visual of what happens every Christmas season. And, and just imagine this as it was happening, I think, in... Uh, it does have sound. Tubas have sound. There we go. I think that's the Denver, Denver Tech Center. You notice, but there are more tuba tuba players than tuba watchers. Okay, <laughs> and I guess that's okay because the experience was designed to just include those who want to participate. And if you want to watch, come on, it's fine. But it's mainly a participant sport. Um, there was another one that I didn't dare play. It was Carol of the Bells on tubas. Bum 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 bum. You know how fast that goes. They had to slow it down so they could keep up with the with the long uh, tuba cords. It was great now i 'm all for fun at Christmas. We do some silly stuff too, but what we are doing here every week through Christmas is to remember that uh, Christmas can become because we have some time off between Christmas and new year 's Christmas can become a, a whole series of big events things we only do once a year and so we can find ourselves having a very busy, a busy Christmas, a very fun Christmas, but not necessarily a really significant Christmas. And that's why we are inviting you each Sunday and Christmas Eve where we explore the names and the titles that are used for Jesus only at Christmas time. Each of these you might say is a little more than a title. It's actually a promise that is fulfilled in Jesus coming to earth That is supposed to change our experience in the way we live life. So the first two we did were Emmanuel. And Emmanuel, it's only mentioned three times in scripture. But every time it's mentioned, it's in a time of trouble. It either deals with an invasion in Judah. uh, And a king is very worried about his kingdom and his own personal health. Or with Joseph, it is a tough decision. And an angel shows up and says, Joseph, lose your reputation. Take Mary for your wife. Because the baby that is going to be conceived by her is by the Holy Spirit and therefore fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah, Emmanuel God with us. Last week we looked at the name of the Lord. And, and can you believe a little baby is called Lord? Now I've seen pictures of Prince William and Princess Charlotte. And, and, and they're all beautiful and, and yet they're, they're still babies. And nobody right now bows down to them. But Jesus, as he's born, the, the angel announces that this Jesus, who is about to be born in Bethlehem as the, as the shepherd's here, uh, He is Christ the Lord, Christ the anointed one in the Lord. And so if someone is born Lord, that means that those who relate to Lord find themselves in service to the Lord. You are worshiping and as the angels did, I mean as the angels do, but also as the shepherds do, And so when you call Jesus Lord, it means you are serving him and and through him, you are serving others. So today we come to that next name, child. That's the name for today. Now, each of us, you say, what's special about child? We all began that way, didn't we? We mean, we were all children at one time. But the thing about this child is he would astonish just about everyone that he comes across. What Isaiah tries to do in the prophecy is talk about how rare this child will be. There would be no one like him. So in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 to 7, that was read to us, it says, For us a child is born, for unto us a child is born, uh, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders this child. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Other titles given to him. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. What Isaiah is doing 700 years before Jesus is born is he's setting the table for us. He's telling us that, uh, Judah, uh, that in Judah, a child will be born and he will be a king beyond anyone's human ability. And so over all the centuries, first before Isaiah prophesied and after, neither David nor Solomon nor any other king of Judah lived up to this prophecy. You see, children do not have the experience, the wisdom, or the maturity to fulfill what Isaiah uh, uh, foresees. Let me give you an example. When we first moved here, my daughter was invited to a 15-year birthday party of one of the girls in her class. And she was new and not, not knowing. And, and, and we, we went through one of these gated communities as I was driving her there, and uh, we didn't even know they were gated communities because they're hidden here. And um, and, and she gets to the party, and it's on this huge, expansive uh, piece of property in a wonderful house. And for the girl's fifteenth birthday, she gets the keys to a brand new Hummer. She's fifteen. She can't even drive it yet. Now my children needed Hummers. My Subaru proves it. Okay. Because a child of 15 is not yet able to handle this. Well, everything that's predicted for Isaiah uh, in terms of what this child would do goes far beyond anything that uh, that all of Israel had ever experienced. This child will be a rarity, really an astonishment. All who come across this child will be amazed by him. And what is it about this child who will reign as king? It's not the authority of his army. It's not the new weapons or the the, the size of the army that will astonish people. It won't be the prosperity of his kingdom. What is mentioned here in Isaiah chapter 9 is the child's morality. He will be known for his justice and his righteousness. He will care for the needy and uphold the rights of the lowly. Let's face it. Even Judah... Even Israel had never experienced a king like this. Power goes to your head, and it gets into your behavior. Judah has never experienced this, and no one else has either. That's what comes with power. So, as they hear this, they say, wow, won't this be wonderful when it happens? But it never did. Israel never experienced it. We never have. But with Jesus we've had a short glimpse of what this wonderful counselor will be like. Yet we understand that the complete fulfilment comes much later. The perfect kingdom of God uh, is not for now. For now we have a you know a small glimpse. It's called the church as the kingdom of God. And we have knowledge that Jesus is leading his church as no uh, kingdom has ever been led before. As Jesus leads his church, he trusts his father in leading him. He never leads an army, this wonderful counselor, this mighty God. He never runs a parliament. But what he does in his church is to exhibit justice and righteousness As no other human kingdom or no other human has ever seen before on earth. That is the picture of the church now. And there is another picture coming even later that I'll get to. Well, when someone comes on the scene like this, and and is supposed to be fulfilling this great and marvelous prophecy, some people get a little nervous. Some people resist. Some people look for reasons why this cannot be the one that we are expecting. And Jesus faced resistance wherever he went. It says in Matthew chapter 2, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. In other words, we knew about when Jesus was born. And Herod, who feared that this king would take his place, decides, I'll kill every possible Uh, uh, candidate that's how I'll keep my kingdom the child always faces resistance but God protects the child's destiny powerful people do not want to be under the power of others in fact none of us desire people to rule over us that was sort of the beginning of our nation Jesus endures great resistance wherever he goes we mentioned Herod Later, Pilate, at the end of his life, thinks he has executed him and done away with his influence. His own very family members think he is insane and try to do an intervention on him. And the religious leaders, the ones who are the best educated, the ones who should be the first to recognize when the Messiah arrives and who this Messiah will be, they're the ones who have all sorts of objections. They argue, they threaten, they deceive, they torture, they, they execute him. And you see, that resistance continues today. Go into Macy's when you're doing your Christmas shopping. Say, Jesus is Lord, see what happens. You'll be offered a quick exit. Go to the Tuba Festival. Hang up a sign, John three sixteen. You'll be avoided. It's the same. How dare you steal my Christmas fun by bringing Jesus into this? What are you thinking? There's resistance to the child. We look for ways to avoid them. And so we have to remember that at the mention of Jesus, no matter where we say it, if we say it outside of the family of faith, you will experience resistance. So Jesus has has a solution for us. He says, maybe there's a better way for you to exhibit me. Maybe you can prove who I am by who you are. And he talks about the reflection of a child. Jesus' answer to the resistance is simple. I state this very carefully. To receive all God wants from this child, you must become a child yourself. Let me say that again. To receive all you want from this child, Jesus, you must become a child yourselves. And this is the example in Matthew chapter 18. The disciples, they had this disciple thing down pretty well. They'd been practicing it probably at least two years. And, and, and so they realized, okay, uh, you know, Jesus speaks to the crowds and then he comes and speaks to us and we can ask special questions. We've been following him. We've been listening to him. We've been having uh, extra sessions with him. We've got this down. So they go to him and say, okay, now that we've got it all figured out here, when your kingdom comes, can I be right on your right side, your prime minister? And, um, and when your kingdom comes, John might be saying, "Can I, um, can I be your secretary of education? When your kingdom comes, can I be secretary of state? I'm really looking forward to the rewards of all this hard work. And here's what Jesus says in Matthew. I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The child that we worship at this time is telling each of us to become like a child. Therefore, and he explains it, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I repeat, to receive all God wants from this child, you must become like a child yourself. His disciples, as they approach him, they're probably scratching their head. Wait a minute. What do you mean? And he can say it again. To get smaller, let me put it another way. If you want to be the greatest in the kingdom... You get smaller, not bigger. You have to find yourself becoming like a little child. And what does that mean? Well, part of it is dependence. Um, we've had a lot of babies in this church. A lot of babies. And uh, I often am here and watching them as the babies are learning to walk. And either mom or dad or grandma or grandpa are holding their fingers as they take the first steps up and down our lobby. And it's it's a beautiful thing to watch. You come back in about two or three weeks and the baby is doing it by herself or himself. And the smile gets so big. I'm a grown-up. I'm a real person. And you watch that child totter along. And can you believe the world that I'm exploring right now? Now, I don't know what's going through a child's mind. Most of the day, I don't even know what's going through my mind. But, but but, the smile is just giving it away. And so that baby just begins to explore this world called Bergen Park Church and goes to every nook and cranny. And suddenly the baby looks around and says, Daddy's gone. And the baby begins to cry. And either mom or daddy come and they pick up that child and they put that child right on their hip and the baby smiles again. Why? Because I'm where I really belong. I belong on daddy's hip. I belong right there with mommy. This is where I can smile again. The first one was for maturity, that I can explore new worlds. The second one is for security. That is where I need to be. So as we've watched this happen at, at you know at, in our church, understand we're watching it happen in the Christmas story. I love reading the Christmas story this time of year. Be, why? Because it's filled with lots of children, not just Jesus, but with lots of children who are called to have trust in God, not in anything else but trust in God. Luke chapter 2 pretty much spells it out for us. Verses 4 to 7, that was read this morning. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, she wrapped them in cloths and placed them in a manger because there was no room for them at the inn. Christmas is all about the arrival of a baby and that arrival changes everything and everyone involved. And everyone else has to become like a child in their trust in God. You know, just think about this. Mary has very busy preparing for a wedding. And the angel shows up and tells her what's about to happen and changes everything. And she has to go from this is how life happens versus this is how God is saying my life will happen. Who do I trust? Who will I trust? Joseph is probably building a house, a place for he and his bride to live in once they are formally married beyond the engagement. And God works through his Holy Spirit and through Caesar, Augustus, and he changes everything. Changes everything. I wanted to live in a house. Now i got to take a long trip. Why? God changes everything. Uh, now, here's some other things that are go on in, in, this, in this scene. I doubt neither Joseph or Mary were expecting this emergency birth with no family or no facilities around them. There's never any uh, account of even a, a midwife showing up to help them. They seem to be on their own. They did not expect shepherds. God brought the shepherds, and the shepherds are like children too. God told us, you know, this is what's happening. We decided to trust what we heard, and we'll go see for ourselves. They did not expect magi to show up. I know, let's have a baby, and all these rich guys will come. Nobody expects that. But they come, and they leave. God brings them, because they are like little children when they look at the stars and fulfilling the prophecies that they had read uh, from Isaiah. So, not expecting shepherds, not expecting wise men, all of them acting like little children at the move and the, and the prompting of God. Now, there was one other thing where they had to be like children where they had to make a sudden move. I'm going to read this passage. It's not there. So just, um, it won't be on the screen. Just listen to it. It talks about when the Magi leave. And then I want you to imagine what that discussion might be like. When they had gone, the Magi, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up and took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where they stayed until the death of Herod. We believe that they not just had the baby in a manger, but stayed for at least several months. If the um, Magi came from Babylon... It would have been at least a couple of months, maybe even longer. If they came from way out in Persia, some would have said the baby might have been even there in Bethlehem for a couple of years. But when they leave, Mary and Joseph stay. Instead of going back to Nazareth, they stay right there, probably get a rental house or an apartment or something like that there in Bethlehem. And imagine that evening when Joseph has the dream. This is going to take sanctified imagination, but I'm going to take you through a possible dialogue that they had. Mary, wake up. Mary, 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 wake up. Oh, Joseph. Man, I've barely had any sleep tonight. Why are you waking me up? Mary, wake up, wake up. Joseph, I am so tired. This baby of mine eats like a god. <laughs> Mary, Mary, how would you like to move? In the middle of the night? You know, Joseph, I've just started to decorate and get this apartment to the way I think it ought to be. I do trust you, but where do we move? Back to Nazareth? No, Mary, I, I was thinking maybe um, Egypt. Egypt, Mary says. It is so far. We would be foreigners. They eat bacon. I've never made Egyptian friends in my entire life. They don't worship Jehovah. They're idolaters. And sometimes when around Egyptians, they smell funny. How did you come up with Egypt? Well, God spoke to me tonight in a dream, Mary. King Herod is determined to kill our baby. And he's told me to go to Egypt so we can protect him for God's destined purpose and his future. Well, Joseph, when do we leave? Mary, now. Now, if that's not like being little children, I don't know how else to say it. They are being little children in God's hand. They have an unshakable trust, a faith in his word to them. Let me just take you forward a little bit to see if you can even imagine believing this. In Isaiah, there's another prophecy about, about the Messiah. And about the age that the Messiah will bring in. And of course we haven't seen this in its fulfillment. But, but this is what it's what is predicted. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. And the calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child should lead them. As he gives this prophecy he's talking about a future time. Hoping that it will happen in his lifetime or soon. And what is God doing? He's changing the whole created order. He's restoring it to what he originally intended. It's all about a peaceful creation. And once again, he says, a little child. There's that child again. A little child would lead them. Now, about uh, two weeks ago, in that last big snowstorm, uh, I had a bear walk right in my house, right under the window, when I was outside near that window, getting firewood and uh i had no intention to lead that bear my intention was to leave that bear and i yelled and i started to throw wood at him and he got the picture to say that i as an adult could do this to a child to a ferocious animal is is insane well The picture that's being given here is that when God restores restores all of his creation the way he is intended, a child will be shepherding shepherding ferocious beasts. And among those ferocious beasts, you'll have lions and lambs saying, bah, together, as they are being led by this child. He never sees this promise fulfilled, but we believe that God is making a kingdom where this will happen at the return of his son. parents this is a kingdom where you will not where you will not fear for your children's safety. let me put it another way. our security team at the church will be disbanded. We're not here to argue about the Second Amendment. Okay, that's not, that's not what we do here. But there'll be no Second Amendment. The Bergen Park Church militia of men will trade in all their guns because they won't need them anymore. We won't do target shooting. Well, maybe for fun, okay? But <laughs> we won't. We won't. Because this is the kingdom that God has bringing. Do you believe that? Do you believe that this is what God is intending to do? It's beautiful, isn't it? Yet we haven't seen it yet. This title that we use for Jesus is the title of child. It speaks about a level of faith that you deeply desire for yourself. You want, as God's child, to have an unshakable trust in God. You want to trust his word when you read it. You want to trust his plan for your life. You want to trust that this young baby born in humble poverty is God himself. The word child is calling you to unshakable faith in God. And there's many levels of faith. Let me just go through three right here that I think are important. The first level of unshakable faith is you come into an intellectual, you might say, an intellectual belief that this baby born in Bethlehem is God himself. Now you base that on a lot of evidence and just a little faith. You don't need a whole lot of faith. But you base it on the evidence you see. Who else could this child be? And you come to the conclusion that the baby we call Jesus of Nazareth is God's son come to earth. Have you in your life come to that conclusion? Have you concluded That Jesus can be no one else but God and God's son. That's sort of the intellectual level. But then it has to get into the soul. The second level is what I call the soul level. Because not only is Jesus God's son sent to us. But he is my God. And is, he's my God, just like the shepherds worship Jesus in the manger. So I find myself honoring God in the way I plan my life, in the way I live it day by day. I want to honor him, not just in, in what I'm doing today, but I want to be my life to be an honor to him for the rest of my life. And I'm devoting myself to discovering just what honoring means. That's the soul level. You get into choices and you get into decisions. And you find that Jesus begins to alter all of those choices. He influences your home and he and, and he and, and he begins to change your very purpose for living. That's the second level of unshakable trust in God. The third level is when experience hits your soul. What comes out. The third level of trust, unshakable trust in God is the experiences you'll have, the roads you'll have to walk down that you did not plan to travel, and all that you know is that you are his. Your career is in danger. Is God still my daddy? Your health is faltering. Can I trust God? Your retirement savings are depleting. Your perfect marriage, oh my gosh, it's not perfect anymore. That lasted three minutes. You need help. You would always hope that you would be married. Didn't happen. Just got a call from the doctor. He wants to talk to us about our pregnancy. Something's up. There are things in your life beyond your power to control. Yes, there are mistakes in your life that you should have been in charge of, but there are experiences in your life that you cannot control. And all you can do is reach and take your daddy's heavenly hand like a child. That's all you can do. And you pray something like this. I never prayed this with my children because I'm afraid they'd stay up all night, but listen to this. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I never wanted to say that, you know, if I should die to my children, you know, as I going to sleep like, yeah, that will put me to sleep. So we never did that, but you understand the childlike faith that God's in charge. You understand that. Jesus gave us another one that I'd like to close with this morning. It's the Lord's Prayer. It's a prayer of unshakable, unshakable trust. You're trusting him for his glory. You're trusting him for his provision. You're trusting him um, for forgiveness of your sins. You're trusting him for his return when his kingdom will be renewed. And you know what? When that day happens, we'll never have to say, we're not perfect. We don't expect you to be either. That core value drops because in Christ, we are perfected. Let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And Father, we have that as a model prayer that most of us have memorized. But we're asking that we take each experience to you because the word child for us is unshakable trust in you. And God's people said, Amen.